We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everybody, welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It's a Sunday edition for you. We're talking NFL Combine. We have a lot of information brought in from the skill position players, which is in all reality the most, you know, interesting, entertaining segment of the entire uh, Combine. You know, as much as it's nice to watch 300-pound guys try to run and change direction, you really get excited watching guys try to break the 40-yard dash record and things like that and it was you know it had real moments of excitement so i welcome in andrew spade to join me again after a couple days here uh andrew what's up man how are you have you enjoyed the the combine which got a little crazy today i the today worked out for me because this afternoon uh saturday afternoon was the only time i was really able to watch so uh i kind of saved saved myself for the best part of it so was able to watch worthy run uh it felt like he was breaking that record when it happened live so uh, a really impressive run from him and, and, you know, just an incredibly loaded group of wide receivers we'll talk about, but yeah, it's uh it's quarterbacks, wide receivers. That's always the most fun for me. So that's really the only one I want to watch because I, you know, sometimes you can get a feel for how offensive linemen move, but you're right. You got to really have nothing else going on to, and you know, that's not shaded anybody. It's just, I, I, it's hard to say, let me cancel all my weekend plans and watch, 20 year old kids run around in tights. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then it, it kind of happens in spurts. Like you're in the flip side of what my day was. So I got busy at like four o'clock and then I'm sitting at dinner just absolutely on gas tank on E after trying to stop two kids at the store from wrecking everything, trying to get them focused to dinner. And I'm looking at my phone periodically and I'm like, okay, he ran a four. Okay. A four, three. It's like, it just kept multiplying these wide receivers. We'll talk about that in a minute. Cause that was the highlight. And as we look at the Browns and the draft, like, the mesh point between the most excitement for Browns fans would be getting one of these guys. So we're definitely going to dig in on the wide receiver group in just a moment. Uh, since, since we haven't talked in a couple of days, we have to get back into our, what is every mad, everybody mad about online trend here. And I think if you have been paying attention over the last two days, as quarterbacks got up in front of the microphone, and this has since been deleted, but I feel like Andrew, it was up long enough that you, you maybe some of you have seen it enough of you have seen it, that this isn't, so hidden that we can't talk about it, but there was a question asked and it reminded me of the, the, the question, not in the same way, but in the same sort of like challenging sense that Jeff, do you remember when Jeff Akuda 
a few years back was challenged on his technique out of nowhere. And it, yeah, caught him really uh, off guard. And, and this one was less. I thought Caleb actually handled the question well. But as you get up there, I think people think you you raise your hand and you get called on for a question. That's not really the case. It's actually just a whoever talks the loudest over other people gets to like, I don't know, some pecking order if you get to continue your question. But this this guy gets up there and says, in the most nervous, assertive tone I've ever heard at the same, very weird mixture there, but says, Caleb, are you afraid to compete? Was essentially the question because he's not throwing at the combine, not doing any of the drills. And it was just phrased in the most combative way possible to start a presser for the, probably I would imagine not being at Indy, the most attended player interview session there was. And it just was like the most abrasive thing. I think when he walked it back on social and explained where he's coming from, I get the question. I actually think it's a fair question when you don't go at the the player on the first question in an aggressive tone, you're going to get a predictable answer to that question. But I think it's one that you want to see how they answer it at least. So I didn't hate the general idea of the question, but when you get up in there, you know, you kind of just throw at somebody, are you afraid to compete? It's like, well, I mean, you're you're essentially trying to call a guy out and gain attention. And then the, the 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 guy who tweeted it, who I have no clue who he is, basically was like coming in hot with my first question. And it's like, okay, you 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 quite clearly are trying to make a name for yourself or just draw attention to your social media stuff. And I, hey, you know, it's kind of like a train wreck, Andrew. I watch from afar. I'm watching everything this guy tweets over the next 24 hours is people responding just like. I mean, some pretty awful stuff, like kill yourself type, like just random awful stuff. Um, so I'm I'm kind of like in the gauge of are we overly mad about this or are we as mad as we should be? Again, it's tricky to not be able to play the audio for you guys. So I'm kind of banking on some of you have seen it, but you have to take my word. It was a pretty combative tone uh, in, in like the first question to set the uh, sort of vibe for the whole thing. You know, I think th- it was very clear what the guy was trying to do. And I think it's frustrating when I I think it's, it's tough when somebody does something that's very clearly like a stunt to get attention and it's effective. Right. And that I think really sets people off in the wrong way. And obviously some of the negative stuff, some of the threatening stuff is never appropriate, but I do understand like the ferocity of the reaction in so far as it's 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 very transparent that he's just trying to get a rise out of Caleb Williams trying to make himself more famous trying to do it for engagement and when that is happening at that sort of level where you're talking about the presumptive number 1 pick in the draft having to essentially answer an internet troll in a live press conference I think that to me, it asks bigger questions about how these events are credentialed and the role of fantasy football media in these sorts of settings and how appropriate that is because there are, there are some people that like, I did not go to school for journalism. So there is, it's definitely a double-edged sword for me to be critiquing anybody else's journalism background. Right. But I, I think that there is there's a legitimate question to be asked about certain the the fusion of the people who want mostly to 
use social media and their access to get themselves attention versus people that want to genuinely help their audience understand the game better. And I think it's pretty obvious. People are pretty good at spotting the difference between those two things. And and this was, I think, a pretty extreme example of, of uh, just looking for engagement. Yeah, the lines are getting pretty blurred with how to how to sort of handle this the role anymore right of of being a a journalist with air quotes right because it seems like for most people and i don't know the numbers or percentages andrew it feels like content creator has overtaken the traditional journalist and when you get into the label of content creator it expands the amount of uh yeah i don't know variance is probably the way to say it and the types of people who are coming in and uh asking questions and getting access so the fantasy community, which you would you would maybe ask the question of why, if you're un- unfamiliar, why are fantasy football people there? Well, they're there because of what's called dynasty versions of fantasy football, where uh, and they, there's even a, a deeper version, which is like a campus to Canton, where you're you're literally drafting kids out of high school on the college teams, and then going with those guys all the way up to the NFL. They're um, judging, analyzing, grading these players for people who are in these leagues and that's why there's a much larger interest from the fantasy community being involved in like the draft process where it was never like five years ago it wasn't anywhere near where it is now it's taken off like crazy i mean i i do that and i know you obviously do andrew because we're together in a league it's fun it's a lot of fun but there is a very uh, wide open gray area right now of like who should be the people that are asking these questions and feeling confident enough to provide, like you said, something useful from the few moments they have to get a question in with a guy like that without chasing, again, as you mentioned, something that's going to just garner attention to a Twitter account. And as they let more and more of these folks in, because, and I don't blame them, it's a, it's an invigorating part. It's a money-making part of the NFL. It's hard to just say, hey, we are not, allowing those folks to come into this but it is a problem i would say andrew it's a problem that's going to get worse before it gets better if it gets better at all other than just assigning folks who can ask questions like you can have a credential to be there and listen but maybe you don't have a credential that allows you to get any questions asked i don't i don't know that 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 might be the only answer but there were some silly Super Bowl questions too from fantasy community people too. And I'm not, if you are in the fantasy community, I'm not trying to lump everybody together. Uh, I'm really not. I have, a, I have a ton of friends who are very deep into this stuff and I, I love it personally. But there is a fine line between the access point of trying to engage in audience growth versus trying to, to relay football information that's meaningful. And uh, I think we are getting a glimpse into that. Uh, with this with this moment i'm not mad about it per se it didn't it didn't really make me mad i made a lot of a lot of people really mad it didn't make me mad but i definitely think that there's um justification for folks who are like i didn't get a question into caleb and this is the question that happened and and i think that there can be some anger that could stem from that for sure and i think that's justified to a certain extent i think there is definitely new media old media frustrations at these sorts of events there's no doubt about that uh, I, I just think it's one of those things, like I said before, where it's very easy to just kind of see it for what it is from the jump. And so I, I, what I wonder is if there's a little bit of curiosity from NFL teams, 
how these uh, prospects handle a sort of wide open Q&A because I thought Williams handled it really well. And that actually is a kind of a piece of information. If you're going to get needled right off the jump, that does kind of tell you a little bit about how he's put together, I think. So maybe from the NFL, there's a standpoint of let's have all these prospects go through the gauntlet of uh, fantasy football yahoos. And then we'll see which ones of these guys can really handle the dumb questions. So we have to answer our question. Is this anger unfair or fair? I would say it's fair, but I didn't get angry with this. Yeah, it's, it's fair, but of course it got taken too far. Right on. Which is probably why we're talking about it, right? Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's jump into what we thought stood out from the weekend, really, right? I, I talked to Jared specifically the combine a couple days ago we hadn't had any of this information so we are breaking down what we've seen now and i think the two position groups that you and i care about the most uh and i think most browns fans do too because there's an actual chance they draft both of these positions as wide receiver running back so you know let's just kind of rip the band-aid off and talk wide receiver class i'll start with this and you respond to it andrew i think that it's the most I'm not here to call it the best wide receiver class we've ever seen because that's you need you need NFL data for that. But what I'm saying is, as far as like getting the the feeling like I would love that guy to be like I'm intrigued with that player. I would love him the Browns to draft him. I cannot think of a single class that has had more names that I'm just like yeah I would like that player on the Cleveland Browns. And then testing provided a few more who are like. These profiles are really good athletically, and that's a uh, that's a notch to the to the like where they were versus where they're going in the draft sort of thing. So I I, I can't off the top of my head name a better wide receiver class. I, I just can't. I guess is what I'm saying. I can't remember one where I've wanted more of the guys. Like okay, I'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with that. It's truly the most pick your flavor group I can recall. Yeah, it's it's enough that you really just wish the Browns had that first round pick because you'd be having some really interesting conversations if they were sitting there. In the well, that's a, yeah. Well, that's a great point to bring up because I saw some people talking about T Higgins and why they don't folks connected to the Bengals. Don't think that there's like a lock that they can get an early second or first for him because why you can draft a young player on a rookie contract and not pay T Higgins 20 plus and make a trade. So that's like a huge reason is because I think that that's, I, I genuinely think it's real. Like, I, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's real. I think it's real too. But man, I love T. Higgins. I <laughs> I do too. I I, do I too. think if if I I don't think that there's any tag and trade thing with the Browns because of the division stuff and et cetera, et cetera. But if you could give up fifty four and sign T. Higgins to a long term deal, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I I'm I'm totally in the realm that I'd be fine with that. I think where and I know you know this but I'm just re- kind of reiterating I think that there's why like there's more league-wide hesitancy than there has been totally. maybe next year like totally. Mecca Buka from Ohio State who's a fine receiver got a lot of like flack for going back another year I get it like you can get lost in the sauce and end up a mid-second rounder in yep. this class where most other years you're a first-round guy so uh I mean we can go through the names like we'll probably should start with Xavier Worthy because he's probably the most debated guy because he checks in at 165 and 165 pounds, the list uh, is not extensive for players that have had really um, high high amounts of success. Now, 
let me phrase it this way. It's a little dicey because like Deshaun Jackson was like a 169 pound check-in guy. I think Hollywood Brown was at the 165 number. Who's had some nice NFL moments. Tank Dell was at the, the, the similar threshold last year. And he had a great rookie season. We don't know what Devonte uh, Smith weighed when he came out of Alabama. He, I don't think he weighed in period throughout the process. And I'm pretty sure he was sub one seven. Like there, I, I can't say with certainty, but that guy was pretty thin, and it was a huge topic then. Uh, worthy running a four two one though, even at one sixty five, is like setting a combine record. It's not something you can roll your eyes at because this isn't to me John Ross type stuff. Like he has nuance to what he does, and he has right. some play strength too that shows. Like when he weighed in at one sixty five, I was pretty surprised by that because I think he plays stronger. Uh, more physical brand of football than 165 suggests. That's the key is that he doesn't play like the other players at that weight. So does that change in the NFL? Sure, it could. But I think given what the league is turning into, the way that these guys with this type of speed can come in and contribute right away, you think about what Devin Achan did in Miami as a running back. I, I just don't see how how a team doesn't get kind of smitten with that type of speed and think that they can really turn him into the next Tyreek Hill or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a gamble because of the size, but I also think teams aren't going to be able to help themselves because of the, the number of teams that have understood now that it's not just the deep vertical speed, it's the horizontal, right? The, the motion stuff that the dolphins have done with Tyreek, Using him that way, it's three-dimensional, and that is going to continue to gain traction in the NFL. And as it does, the number of teams that are in the market for players like this is going to outnumber the number of players that can run that fast. So it's supply and demand. He's going to probably go in the first round. And I think, yeah, like you said, it's it's a gamble, but I don't think it's the craziest thing to bet on. No, it's, it's a lot less nerve-wracking for me watching his tape than it was for some others that have been hotly debated here. And again, I understand the data isn't strong for this situation, but if my team took him, like, I really don't want to see that guy in Kansas city. I have no desire to see that. And it feels like it might be inevitable. Um, Let's keep going with names though. Cause there's just so many, Andrew lad McConkey, who is, I know been a guy that um, has been connected to just sort of maybe getting to the 54th selection, but could potentially be, in anywhere from the late, late, late twenties into that middle second round range, Georgia kid. If you look at it, his testing was almost identical to Garrett Wilson, which is pretty crazy when you think about how special we thought Garrett Wilson was. The four three nine forty, right now there is some concern with McConkey and like guys who never put up multiple one hundred yard games in a single season. So there's some of that stuff that gets cooked into that, but. As far as this guy we think has really nice route nuance, the ability to win at different levels of the field, but also being as athletic as the SEC corners he was playing against, and in most cases superior to them, the testing confirmed that, and that's a big deal for him. So he is very squarely on the radar at 54, and I think justifies a lot of the hype. So that's one. And you can shut me up and and jump in for any of these guys you love. But there's two other ones, Andrew, that I don't think the Browns are going to have a chance at after today. One I know for sure. Uh, Brian Thomas is like the Justin Jefferson of this whole thing, where yep. this guy is going to go 
18 to 25. And it's like, why aren't we talking more about him? He he was he's a four three four forty guy at six three two oh nine. And he won all over the freaking field for LSU last year. I just a 38 and a half inch vertical. Like I I would be zero percent surprised not to see him get to Justin Jefferson's level because that's that's really special stuff. But to be like, why didn't we take Brian Thomas more serious? Cause and I, I it, that this is what irks me the most, Andrew. He's kind of pegged to go right where the Browns would have picked. That's what I was about to say. That's what I was about to say is that there there are players that would have been in play for them at the first round pick that it's to the to the conversation you brought up earlier with T. Higgins. There are there are wide receivers that you would feel good about starting week one. Yeah. Like not maybe he could do it, but like this guy is going to be a dude for for us from the jump. And that's that's tough. I think that it's big picture on the wide receiver class. I think the question that I have is there are so many good players that it feels almost inevitable that some teams will pass on players that are much high, more highly rated because they just don't feel that they have a need at wide receiver, the same that they do at other positions, right? There's a always a scarcity of offensive linemen in the league. We know what the cornerback situation is league-wide. So there are going to be times where a team says, well, we'd love to take a Brian Thomas, but we don't have a starting cornerback opposite our guy. So we got to take Cooper DeGene or whatever. And Thomas falls a little bit more. So the, the question I have for the Browns is, does that happen enough times over the first 50 some picks that one of these guys, not the top tier guys, obviously, but do one of these guys right below that get down to their level where they can either maybe make a small move up or even just sit tight and snag one of those guys. I think it's possible just because there's so many of them. And it seems crazy that like 15 wide receivers would go in the first round, which is what it would have to be for the Browns to not have a chance at these guys. The, the names keep rolling in, man. That's a great, it's a great point. A.D. Mitchell, the Texas, the other Texas receiver, a 4-3-5, runs, ends up running an actually a 4-3-4 once he's all said and done. 39 and a half inch vertical, 11-4 broad jump. To go along with 55 for 845, 11 touchdowns last year. He's going to be a boundary player at that size. I mean, God, man. Like, he's an early second round type. <laughs> I can't even fathom that guy's an early second round type. So, to your point, considering moving up for these guys because you love, and I mean love one of them, should be on the radar here. Now, Tez Walker didn't have a very strong senior bowl, but he helped himself as well. The North Carolina product. I believe he was at Kent State before That's North right. Carolina. Yep. Um, 11-2 broad, 4-3-6-40, 40 and a half vertical, all at 6-1, 195. That helps Jalen Coker. Other names here, Andrew. Jalen Coker, the Holy Cross kid, has like a 42-inch vertical. He's caught some people's eye. My boy Ricky Pearsall, who I think of like if you're outside of the first two tiers, maybe you end up going with somebody at 54 at another position you liked. He definitely made it, so I don't know that he's going to be available at pick 85. Jordan Reed, who you know I've had on this show many times, all the respect in the world for him, a meteoric rise up to ESPN's coverage. Pearsall at 6'1", 189, 4'4", 42-inch vertical, like phenomenal stuff to go along with tape that's pretty strong, playing bigger than the size. 
You're talking about he's continued. This is what Reed said. He's continued to help his draft stock in the pre-draft process, largely seen as an early day three guy coming into the process. Wouldn't surprise him if he's inside the top 75 now selections. So doesn't help my my hope that he would be there as your second guy, but definitely uh, catching the eye. Xavier Leggett, I mean, freak of nature, almost a near 10 RAS, the South Carolina product. Jermaine Burton from Alabama had a great day. Cornelius Johnson, the other non-Roman Wilson Michigan receiver, put up some fantastic numbers. Malik Washington from Virginia. The one I want to ask you about, Andrew, is Keon Coleman. I think that's the one who we think he's a special player, but he ran a 4-6-1. His 10-yard split was pretty good, but the 20 and the total 40 wasn't very good. So if he, like that to me, man, if he slips into the 40s because of this sort of stuff, I mean, come on. Let's yep. let's have a call. Let's make a call here. Yeah. Well, and I I think that that's the player. If I had to choose one of the players from the the top tiers, that I mean, beyond the the obvious guys that are going to go top twenty, that's the guy that I have my eye on because the the tape is just crazy, and that to me matters most. We, I think it's just always helpful to step back a little bit here and remember that like. We are learning about these players now. NFL teams are not. And so for for the Browns, Keon Coleman's 40 time is probably not a surprise given the work that they've done on him. They probably have his tracking data from Florida State, right, for the whole season. So they they probably know more about how fast Keon Coleman is than any team in the league. And that allows them to be have all this stuff already set up whereas for us we're learning and we're gathering information so it's not really ever that players have a meteoric rise from now through the draft it's that the teams start to show their cards a little bit to the media and that influences how media members rank these boards so that's the process that's really happening here is it the case that Keon Coleman because he's not you know, a testing freak by, you know, I was talking earlier about the the value that the NFL is putting on speed. Now, is it the case that a player like that falls a little bit and allows the Browns to be in a position because that could be exciting. The question then is, is do the Browns disregard the testing numbers because they do have some preferences of their own for what type of athletes they want. But as I said before, his production is, is unquestionable. So, it makes a lot of sense to me that he could be that player that that could be in that situation, mm-hmm. much like JOK a few years ago, because the the vision for how he translates to the NFL isn't one hundred percent clear. You mentioned Xavier Leggett; that's the other player from a height, weight, speed perspective. His forty is the most impressive of any of them because he's a he's like two hundred and thirty some pounds. So, I mean, he and Brian Thomas are right there in terms of the height, weight, speed combination that is incredibly rare. So that's another name that I think that's a, there's a good chance Leggett is around when the Browns are picking. But is that what they want? I, I, and this also presumes that the Browns are locked in on picking a receiver in the second round where yeah. perhaps they have a different plan at receiver and we're going to find out what that is over the next few weeks. I, I do just want to zoom out though and, and say, I keep saying that, but with this draft class, it does feel like there's been some talk you know you talk about Anthony Schwartz you talk about David Bell 
Cedric Tillman to a certain extent has been was at times frustrating his rookie year. If the Browns can't find a guy this year, it really feels like it starts to become an issue, right? Yeah, you you can't if they're actually intending to take a guy at fifty four. I think that if you're again, it's hard to say that they're dead set on this position, but the depth of the position almost makes that a first round pick, Andrew, like a late first round pick because only so many of them can go. So like if you're actually taking a wide receiver and we think the depth of position is that great, like I'm just saying in most years, you'd be maybe picking at 31 or anywhere from 25 to 31 with like the type of talent that's on the board at 54, if that makes sense. So you better find somebody here. And if you if you have really strong convictions about a guy, you better move up 10 spots to go get somebody here. And I think it's the right draft to do it. I, I really would not prefer to wait on that if you love somebody who's kind of falling down the board a little bit. I'll be very interested to see how hungry they are. But the, the general point you're making is fair, which is if you can't find one this year, it's some it's some spot who's a, who's a is a contributor of some kind. Then we got to start having like some real interventions here because it's getting it's getting dicey. You know, it's getting dicey. So uh, there's is there anything else wide receiver wise that we should any other players? we I mean, like the funny thing about Keon Coleman as we're wrapping this up is like he was faster in the gauntlet than Troy Franklin was, who is a four four one guy. So these numbers can be super misleading. I think as long as he runs in the mid four fives at Florida State's Pro Day, it's like that guy's fine. He's yeah. gonna be fine. My personal perspective on this is that I don't care really what the forty times are because you never once run a forty yard dash with a timed start in the NFL game. You yeah. you never once use a sprinter stance. So yeah. I understand the the necessity of it, and at this point, it's basically a a sport unto its own. I mean, listening to the cheers in, in the crowd when in, when in Indianapolis, when Worthy broke the record, people were captivated by this stuff. I get it. I'm watch, I was watching it too, but it's not the same thing as, as NFL speed. And I think the, the, the tracking data on the gauntlet drill proves that, right? Because when you are running, looking somewhere else and using your hands, it's, it's a different set of muscles. It's a different activity than running in a straight line with a sprinter start. Yep, good stuff. All right, let's take a break. Come back from uh, that break, and we're going to talk through running back, tight end, safety corners, just just what we thought of some of the other positions that were on the forefront of the weekend of testing. We will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, running back is the position that we had the second most interest in, Andrew. And I mean, I guess it kind of felt maybe disappointing to, to an extent because a lot of people have been into Audric Estime, who runs a four seven two, and I'm all about like what you're just saying, which is that this stuff doesn't matter until it kind of like you know four seven two, two straight times. It does have a little bit of an impact on the potential ceiling of what a player can get to. So you start to sort of slide some guys down the board. I don't think Estime helped himself. Didn't ruin himself. Didn't help himself. Can he get that into the low four sixes when he gets into Notre Dame's pro day? Maybe here's some of the names that stood out Louisville's. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name, right? Isaac Guerendo. Hopefully got that right. Ran a four, three, three today, led the running back class. Uh, you look at people who are big draft studiers, love him as an outside zone runner. One of the better outside zone runners in this class, according to quite a few, he had 810 yards and 11 touchdowns. So, you know, that's a name you should probably know if the Browns are still going to run variations of tight and wide zone. Jalen Wright from Tennessee really ran well, and I think a lot of people expected that. A lot of burst. 11-2 broad is pretty special. 38-inch vertical, 4-3-8. Pretty good stuff. Marshawn Lloyd from USC, 4-4-6 at 220 pounds. Right? That's um, that's a pretty good speed score. He also jumped 36 inches, so good burst. Trey Benson, Florida State guy that I've been into. Uh, really good stuff from him at 216 pounds. He's a 4.39 player. Um, his weight adjusted 40, placed him in the 90th percentile based on speed score stuff that puts the size of the of the human being running into place. One five two ten 10-yard split is really strong as well. Um, last two seasons combined, 1,895 yards, 21 touchdowns. Good dual threat player. And then Keelan Robinson from Texas also – uh, did pretty well. Another name that you should know that I've, I've been into is the Troy kid. Kamani Vidal also had a nice day, a four, four, seven, a good day, three running back. Any others from the running back class, good or bad pop up to you, Andrew? Not really. I think it showed its limitations as a class overall. I think Trey Benson to me has been kind of the guy from the beginning that has jumped out the most, just in terms of being kind of able to do everything you want him to do. And the athletic stuff then backs that up. And so I, I I would be, I think I would be comfortable with the Browns taking him day two, if they felt like that's really where they needed to invest to try and give themselves a a legitimate number two option behind Nick Chubb and, and improve on Jerome Ford. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they just sit this whole thing out because I don't think, unless there's a, a late type flyer that they love for athletic reasons, man, I, 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 there's none of this, none of these guys that I think is a sure thing. And so yeah, it's, it's hard to get overly excited about any of them. And I think it's just the, the devaluation of the running back class, this running back class being paired with this wide receiver class is so interesting to me because I mean, there's enough wide receivers in this draft. Every team can just run four wide 
all season and just not run the ball, right? Like yeah, it just yeah. it's over, man. That's right, man. Just college spread style, right? Keep keep the box open and let's let's try to push the perimeter a little bit. All right, uh tight ends, let's do that real quick. Theo Johnson, Penn State had a remarkable testing session. I never I mean Ohio State's played this young man multiple times. He's never popped out to me once. No. 39 and a half inch vertical runs a 45840105 broad jump. He had 34 for 341 last season. Okay. A lot of names, uh, sorry, a lot of folks in the connection uh, of tight end like Ben Sennett, this kid from Kansas State, hopefully pronouncing his last name right. But he had a 40-inch vertical, which is extremely impressive. A 10-6 broad jump. And then um, a pretty, you know, a pretty good tight end, 4-6-8, 40-yard uh, run as well. So uh, pretty productive season last year, 676, six touchdowns. Probably the guy that you would hope the Browns could get away with at some point, but it's not a, it's not a deep tight end class. It's really you know, Brock Bowers and Jatavian Sanders, the the Texas kid, but other names that have produced uh, pretty, or at least helped their case. Devin Culp, Washington tight end, ran a four four seven forty, which is uh, obviously pretty strong for the position, but only 16 catches, 208 yards, two touchdowns. Another name, we, we talked about this before, Andrew, names in the in the class. You mentioned Kool-Aid is the top of the list. You're, you're definitely right about that. I said Judge Culpepper, it's such a great name. Tip Raymond, the Illinois tight end. Yeah. Sounds like a 1918 pitcher. Totally. Here. Yeah. 30, 32 wins for the Cleveland Blues. Yep. Yeah. He's uh he's had a remarkable 1918 season where he came out of nowhere, rookie of the year. And then he was just gone back on the farm. No one ever heard from him again. One year, mm-hmm. one year That's wonder right. type. Um, but he had a four six a four six four forty with a one five five split, which is the best. At two seventy, he he yes. weighed in two seventy one. That's the important part there. He he was moving, and he's six five. So if you if like that's probably the closest thing to like a Darnell Washington type in this draft, right? That's that's fair. That's definitely accurate. The guy who I thought looked the best as far as like natural athleticism making plays in the drills was Jaheim Bell from Florida State. Had a couple really nice one handed catches. Tracked the ball well, really well. Four six one forty ten four broad thirty five inch vertical. Uh, had a nice senior bowl and is like like they said here's you know he's kind of continued to be um you know an explosive player at the position uh, that's in that second tier and then guys I've I've been drafting as well in some of these mock drafts Jared Wiley the TCU tight end had a nice showing in Tanner McLaughlin the Arizona tight end who broke a lot of Rob Gronkowski's tight end records uh as well so not a deep class but one I think the Browns will entertain a player in the in the day 3 range right I think it makes a ton of sense to replace Harrison Bryant just basically like for like, and if you can get a guy, one of these guys that's maybe a little bit bigger and can block a little bit better. Not that Bryant was a bad blocker and he put a ton of effort into it, but somebody for whom it comes a little bit more naturally because of their size, their frame, I think that could add a dimension to the Browns offense in terms of what we've seen some other blocking tight ends do for teams around the league. I, I like that idea as like a one of they've got those two fifth round picks somewhere in that range that they could find a guy that that could kind of be that third tight end, but your main blocking tight end. Good stuff. Switch to defense real quick on the way out the door. So DBs, we don't expect the Browns to be heavy in this market, but there's one name we want to hit on. Quinion Mitchell is not the name we want to hit on because he's going to be gone in the top 25 picks of this thing. So apparently Toledo is putting out some talent recent years. Mitchell runs a 4-3-3 at his size. Like what a profile for this young man. Pretty stunned some D1 you know, power five school didn't come pick a pick him off of Toledo this past year. So 
he has a strong one and it solidifies himself as one of the best corners in the draft. Max Melton, the cornerback from Rutgers. Is he? I wonder if he is uh, related to Bo Melton, who came out recently. He is. Is that his brother? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure about that. Hadn't really studied it. But he had, I mean, it's, Bo was a really great athlete. At 11 4, uh, broad jump, 40 and a half vertical, and then a 4 3 9 40. So another name to know Tyler Owens, a safety from Texas Tech. And then Cole Bishop, safety from Utah, who was a Thorpe f- a finalist this past year with 60 tackles, six and a half for loss, five passes defended, three sacks. Pretty versatile player. And then Andrew Phillips, cornerback out of Kentucky, tested really well in the explosion metrics. 42-inch vertical, 11-3 broad, which are just absolutely insane. Nate Wiggins, slender corner, uh, but runs a 4-2-9. Really impressive stuff. And then the name that we got to talk about, which you and I have been hitting on really hard here, is Mike Sanders still, the, the kid from, from Michigan. Tested really well. Mentioned in his interview, Andrew. Who's he study? Mike Hilton. That's our guy. Yeah, they can get him, man. I'd love it. Find a way yeah. to get this guy. Well, the the question is, what do you do if that? Because it's probably that's also the pick at fifty four. So, do you do you favor a nickel cornerback with a second round pick over the wide receiver conversation we had earlier? I think that's well, we're a, presuming they trade Greg Newsom for like a thirty eight over, okay, overall nice. pick or something. Nice. In All this right. fantasy, Very world. You, you agree with that fantasy? Okay. I think we gotta we gotta go that route, right? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think that's yeah that. That is the I, I think the thing that I have kind of come to with the Browns and this this offseason cycle is that it's and, and this probably is an insight that, you know, we should we should talk about more as free agency comes around, because this is the first offseason that Andrew Barry can help the team by moving on from players that he drafted. Yep. So whether it's Newsom or Jed Wills, however you want to talk about it, there are opportunities to improve the team, collect assets by kind of admitting that you were wrong about players that you drafted. That's I think it's really hard for general managers to do that. I think it's interesting if they do it with either of those players. But to your point, if you could collect a day two pick for Greg Newsom, that puts you in the market to potentially swing one of the types of picks that we're talking about here but yeah Sainer still has been a guy that I've enjoyed watching all the way back to the beginning of last season I don't like watching Michigan but he's the exception man like I I've said for a long time I have a soft spot for that type of hard-nosed nickel and the fact that he's yeah patterning his game after Mike Hilton is not a surprise to me because it's it's an attitude it's so it's it's not about the skill set and he tested really well I, I think he's a very athletic kid it's not about that. It's about the attitude with which you play because you're smaller than almost everybody you're trying to tackle and you do it anyway. That requires a mindset. Yep. One, the Browns don't have no offense, right? That's My- right. That's the whole thing. I mean, Cam Mitchell will stick his nose in there a little bit, but I don't think he quite has the yeah. same type of aggressiveness that we're talking about with these guys. And Greg and Greg Newsom's a better outside corner than Sam still, right? So, so find someone who needs an outside corner, make this happen. Let's, let's see it happen. Um, Okay, linebackers, and we're out of here. Edrin Cooper, nice player, four five two forty, the best ten yard split at one five four, thirty four inch arms. He's going to be in the first two rounds selected, probably more round two guy. Just again, a really fun player. Peyton Wilson, who I think is at the top of most of these lists, four 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 on the forty, kept it under four five again the second time. Medical concerns with him, but boy, the athleticism and 
Like the instinct stuff is is pretty good there. I swear linebacker puts together the most challenging names every single year to pronounce. Washington's Edifon Ulafoshin. Ulafoshio. I think it's Ulafoshio is the is the way to pronounce that. But I mean the guy had a 40 inch vertical, a 10 8 broad jump, a one a four, five, six, forty. Uh, I mean, pretty pretty good football player. He had 94 tackles on the season and uh, eight for loss, four passes defended. He's a Sunday player. Uh, improve that with his testing. And then Trevin Wallace from Kentucky, Jordan McGee from Temple. And then the guy I really like is a late under the radars, this Kalen Deloach from Florida State. So he had a pretty strong day too. But linebacker feels like tight end to me. Like, you know, they could certainly solve this ahead of time and not have to worry about it much in the draft. But if there's a, a need, these these late picks that they have are going to probably fit the criteria for just dart throwing at the end of this thing. So that's that's what we have. Those are the position groups we've gone through, and it was and it was pretty entertaining, Andrew. I mean, I, again, these guys chasing the wide receivers, chasing the big numbers here. Now it stinks that we didn't get to see Marvin. It stinks neighbors didn't even do any of the weigh-ins. Period. Pretty interesting. The LSU guys are just saying we're not even going to weigh at your place. Maybe they're going to put some quarters in their pockets at the pro day or something. I'm not sure. But um, as far as what we could hope for entertainment value, the, the wide receivers provided. And, boy, I can't wait to see what this class looks like when they hit the field on Sundays. And it's a really good year if you're talking fantasy football. Good year to have a ton of picks in the first two rounds because there's so many dart throws to take on talent. Yeah, there's so many starters that are going to be long-term guys. And I think for NFL teams, or if you're a dynasty owner, the the trick is going to be figuring out which guys you really like and trust to to at least have that floor. But uh, one other name I just wanted to mention because I uh, did a mock draft for the OBR this week that you can go read there. I just went up on Saturday. Um, we will have that link in the pod description, so you can click on it straight from the description. Get to I, so I, I I did this one through the NFL mock draft database uh, simulator, and. Late round, you, I start. I'm still at the point where I'm having to kind of Google guys and get a sense of them. There's this kid from Houston Christian, used to be Houston Baptist. Mm-hmm. His name is Jalex Hunt. He went to Cornell and played safety, and then transferred, and is now at, is at the combine as an edge. So he was playing FCS ball at like six. He's six three and three quarters, and he was. Some safety, some edge, even this year with Houston Christian. That's wild. It's bizarre, and his tape is really fun. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I broke down full games or anything, but if you go to YouTube, there's a there's some clips of him, and it's really funny to watch because he has an NFL body, and they're kind of using him in some, what I would say are not the most effective ways, but when he actually rushes the passer, he's he's like, lightning out of a bottle. He had a 10 foot eight broad jump and a four, six, four forty. He's like six, almost six, four and two fifty, two sixty ish. So that'll, that'll play. Yeah. I think he might probably end up in, in day two. The NFL mock draft database had him available in the seventh round. Uh, so, but th- it's just a, a player that I had not heard of. And it's one of those, a very strange thing where a player was playing safety snaps and also rushing the passer. I don't think I've heard of that in recent memory. I can't say I haven't. I, as you you were talking about his highlights, I pulled them up real quick, and the first two plays are him like in the slot, covering space, just eating yes. grass. It's yes. like what? 
what on earth so yeah that's a name I and, love his, it. We'll, and his arms are like 34 plus inches so like you see you can see him on tape you don't even need them to circle him because he's the only guy that can touch his toes without bending over you can always tell man it's like a, a mary the mims the kid from georgia the tackle yes. that was in the crowd yes. today yes you can find that picture find it because I don't know if you ever had this, Andrew. You, you, Clear Fork, where you went, had some special athletes through. They went through there, but we had a kid who was a tight end who ended up going to Indiana, who was like six four, two fifty, and everything was effortless. Like just you can like that kid doesn't. Every kid who's six four, two two hundred twenty five pounds at the level that, that we were playing high school football is like that kid's on the offensive line. Now he's the most skilled player in the entire school at anything. Hand-eye coordination was stupid. It's just funny how there are these kids, and you go back and maybe look at like Miles Garrett high school pictures. Yes, um, that you can just see them. You can you can tell. The funniest one I saw recently was a high school warm up for the the kid that there's a kid that might actually have been Mims too, who when he was in high school. I, I mean, I can't even quite put it like he's playing. He he looks like he's in a middle school game as like this college level D one prospect, like that's how much bigger physically he is than everybody else. I always just yeah. find those dynamics so funny to see the photos. It's like, Oh, those guys are just built differently. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not close. It's not like well, a little bit taller. It's like just, they, it, it, it's like a where's Waldo situation. Once the you skeletal see that, structure yeah. thing. It's yeah, exactly. Wild. Right. It's just the whole, the whole thing. It's really, yeah, it's really impressive. So that's just the name. I like, if he's going to go day two, it doesn't, it's not going to work, but you know, if, if he was available late round, I do like the idea of them at some point taking a, a really high end athlete to put in on the roster with miles Garrett and just like, let miles work out with this kid for two years and just see what happens, you know. Yeah, go with go to Miles is working out with LeBron, like right. Yeah, just just happen. go go do that. You're six four. You're two fifty. Yeah. You can run. Go do that and see what you turn into. Take up dinosaurs and in, in drawing and poetry, and let's right. make you get into paleontology and let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. All right, we've thrown a lot of names at you, and Jay looks hunt. Remember it, Andrew, and I will try to throw some more of these random ones out there. We're not the draft podcast that you go to, but. We're going to try to do as much of this stuff as we possibly can, and hopefully you got something out of this for your Sunday entertainment. We appreciate you being here, checking it out, and always, as we say, rate and reviewing the podcast because that helps us so much, and you guys have been great with that. So very much appreciated. My son is doing a heart challenge. They're doing a um, a really cool thing at his school to collect money for young children going through heart defect issues. And he's raising money to help. And I, I just wanted to draw attention to that. You can find it on my Twitter feed if you want to donate. Some of you have been awesome and already donated to that. And I want to say, say thank you for doing that. So, uh, yeah, that's another little thing floating out there. And we'll have uh, Andrew's uh, mock draft linked in the episode's description. So use that to directly go to the OBR webpage. And then while you're there, if you have not signed up for a subscription, that's a great time to do it. You should take advantage of the dollar for your first month. We appreciate you being here, taking your time out of your day to give us uh you know some attention i think that hopefully you got something from the uh, if you didn't have enough time to watch the combine we gave you some names maybe you hadn't heard yet uh, otherwise guys as i always say be well andrew and i appreciate you go browns